I love families, and God loves families. And before I begin, um, one of our church members, I'm not going to say who it was, but he, he bought me some shoes, and he said, if, I, I told him, I said, if you give me the shoes, I will wear them up on stage and preach in them. And so I'm wearing these Hey Dude shoes right now, and they, they feel like slippers. I mean, I feel like I don't have anything on. They're awesome. Um, they're so lightweight. You might think I look a little weird, but you know what? I don't really care. It's, they're, they're comfortable to me. And, and uh, you know, these, these shoes remind me of, of Christmas time because I always got slippers, you know, growing up uh, during Christmas time. And Christmas time reminds me of families. Did you see how I tied that in? Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, anyways, uh, so I don't know. Um, but hey, uh, we, we look at videos like this, and it, it's kind of, kind of silly and kind of funny because we understand that families are not like that. Like real families um, do not say, hey, mom, you're swell. You're so swell, and let's, uh, let's all love each other. Like it, families are difficult. Families um, are messed up. And you think about uh, videos like this. I mean, that's an old, old video, but um, when you're growing up, everybody watches like a, a family sitcom, and it usually reminds you um, somewhat of, of your family. And uh, one of my favorite ones, this probably dates me, my favorite ones is uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I don't know, right? I mean, it's just... Uh, in West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground is where I spend most of my days. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool and all, shooting some b-ball. Okay, sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> my son is doing the videos back there. He's probably just dying. So, but that's okay. Uh, but it's funny because, I mean, that, that's really old. And, and I memorized that, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. But uh, we love those shows because in some way they remind us of our families, Right? We can kind of learn something about them, and family sitcoms are kind of silly because in about 22 minutes, they solve some big life issue, and we understand that that does not happen in real life because families are messed up. Families have issues, and so we're going to talk through, um, through that for the next several weeks in a new series that's up there on the screen called Our Imperfect Family. But you know what? Despite all of your issues, God wants to help you. He loves families. And he is passionate about your family. And I'll tell you this, if your family has issues, and it does, my family has issues. If your family has issues, you know who God wants to use to fix that? It's you. It's you. God wants to use you to fix what is broken and to resurrect things that are messed up and reconcile when there are issues. He loves families. And let me, let me prove it to you, show you how much God loves families, how important they are to him. You have to go all the way back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, and turn there. Um, we're going to be all over the place today, so it's like Bible drill time, okay? So you can see how fast you can flip back and forth. But in Genesis chapter 1, at the very beginning, God shows just how much he cares 
about families. Here's what it says, Genesis 1, 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, here's what he said, this, this first command that he gives to mankind. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. What is he really saying? What he's saying is, be a family. That's what he's saying. He's telling Adam and Eve, here's what I want you to do. Here's my command to you, is to be a family, to be together, to love each other, to take care of one another, to live life together and to grow together. And then a couple of verses later, here's what he says about all this. The Bible says in verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, what does he say? He said, it's very good. It's very good. He wasn't just talking about creation, but he was talking about the institution of family. He, what he's saying is, I love families. God looked at Adam and Eve and said, you know what? This is good. This is the way it should be. God loves families so much that it is literally the first institution or organization of mankind before nations and even the church. Families are important. And a great way to kind of show you just how, how important families are to, to, uh, to God is to think about artwork. So if I was to paint a picture up here on this stage and I try to make a portrait of somebody, it would be awful. It would be terrible. Look like a, a second grader did it, okay? And if I tried to auction it off or sell it to you, probably no one's going to buy it, okay? Except for maybe my in-laws. They might do that, okay? But, but it would be at a, at a steep discount, really steep discount. But there was this picture painted about 500 years ago by Leonardo da Vinci, okay? And the, the name of this picture is Salvatore Mundi, and I'll put it up on the screen right there. And it's, it's Latin for savior of the world. Around 1500, it, it, was, it was painted. And I don't know what the deal is about the medieval dudes. They always painted Jesus as like this white guy with long flowing, flowing curls. That is not what Jesus looked like, okay? He probably looked more Arabic. Um, sorry to burst your bubble about that. Uh, but there's a picture of Jesus right there. And I, I don't know what he's wearing. It's just kind of awkward to me. But anyways, so this is a famous painting, all right? Um, so, so this painting gets lost, okay? And then in 1958, there was a family in New Orleans, and they had, um, they had a picture up on their, their wall. And there was a lot of copies of this painting, and uh, Leonardo da Vinci had all these, had all these uh, guys that were like apprentices of his and, and students, and they would repaint this all the time. And so they had, this, uh, they had this estate sale in New Orleans, and they sold a lot of different things in their house and furniture and all that kind of stuff, and they sold a, a painting. Um, they didn't know what it was, and they sold it for 120 bucks. Okay, 120 bucks, man, I got that, we, so we can go and buy something $120. And so that's what they had. Well, in 2017, they realized that that painting that was sold for 120 bucks was the original. And it was sold at auction for $450 million, okay? It was the it's the most expensive painting in the history of the world. And in 1958, they sold it for $120. Why? Because they didn't know what they had. Why was it sold for $450 million? Because it was an original. And God has created something that is original. It's unique. It's one of a kind. It's a first edition organization of mankind. And it is the family. Families are so important to God. And if family is important to God, then here's some things that we need to, to understand. Your family is foundational. Taking notes today, your family is foundational. Families, in fact, are the essential building block of, of humanity. It's how humanity is organized. 
two of the Ten Commandments talk about families. And if families are that important, then they need to be nurtured and protected. And if you want God to bless your family, you need to work on it. You need to work on your family above all else. And working on your family is such a big deal because it solves so many problems. If you think about it, the issues that our, our, our society faces, our culture faces, if you, if you bring it all the way back to, to what's really going on, it's usually a breakdown of the family. Families are so important, and we need to work on them. So here's one way you can work on them. You need to ask yourself this. Am I taking care of my family? Because your family must take care of one another. We have to do that. That is our responsibility. Families are designed to care for one another. And when we do that, it doesn't just benefit us individually. It benefits and blesses our entire family. Let me give you an example of that. So if you go all the way back again to Genesis, Adam and Eve have two kids. Who are they? Two boys, Cain and Abel, okay? So you can always remember this. Cain is like, I think of like sugar cane. So he was the farmer dude, okay? And Abel is like the rancher. Two different different ways of, of, of doing life. And Cain gives, gives uh, God this grain offering, and Abel gives God this, this skin offering. And God's, God uh, appreciated and, and, and liked um, Abel's offering more because literally had more skin in the game, okay? I mean, it was, it was just more, it was blood, a sacrifice. And, and you know what? Here's what it did. Jealousy arose, and the family broke up. And here's what it says in Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 8. It says that Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Now, that's kind of an interesting verse. I mean, what were they doing? Just having coffee or something? What I think they did was they were fighting, okay? Siblings. How many of y'all fought when you were, you were little, okay? Everybody should raise their hand. Every sibling fights. I remember my, my sister and I, um, we're really close now, but she's two years older than me. And, um, and when we were growing up, we fought a lot. It was crazy. I just want to apologize you know, to my parents who are probably watching right now. I'm really sorry for the way we fought. One time their coat hanger got out, and you know, metal coat hangers, it was just, it got a little crazy. It got a little out of control. We fought all the time, okay? And I feel like a lot of families, that's what we do. And guess what? The very first siblings, they fought. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? I mean, God knew, right? Just testing him. Here's what he said. He said, I do not know. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Like, not my responsibility. And God says, no, he is your responsibility. Families, we're supposed to take care of one another. What a tragedy that was, that they rose up against each other. There was a family split. And God wanted them to be fruitful and multiply, but instead their, their, their family was full of death and divide. And that was not God's design. We were called to take care of each other. So that's kind of an inward focus, an inward look of what it looks like to, to maybe um, have a healthy family. But let's look at some, some outwardly focused things about families. Number two is this, or number, number three, is your family is influenced and influential. Not only is your family supposed to take care of one another, not only is your family foundational, but your family is influenced and influential. Or another way to, to think about this is to ask this question, who is influencing my family? Is it Christ or the culture? Christ or the culture? You could also go back to the Old Testament and look at the life of, of the Israelites. And they're, they're going into the promised land, and they have this leader, and his name is Joshua. 
And, and towards the end of his life, he's an old guy, and he's been leading, um, after Moses died, he's been leading the, the Israelites. And they've crossed the Jordan. They're in the promised land, right? The land is flowing with milk and, and honey and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? It was not an empty land. There were people everywhere. And they had, they had other religious beliefs and other practices. There was a lot of paganism and all this crazy stuff going on. And the Israelites were being influenced by, by those different people as they were going to battle and they were living um, in towns next to them and all that kind of stuff. And here's what Joshua says. He gets all of the leaders of Israel together. And here's what he says in Joshua chapter 23, in verse 14. He says, and now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. He's saying, I'm about to die, okay? And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that no one, so that no one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. What he says is, hey, we've gone through a lot. But you know what? God has always been faithful. There has not been a single time in the history of our people where God has not been faithful. Don't forget that. And then he says this. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt when they were in slavery, right? And serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. Let me, let me kind of back up, okay? So what he said is, hey, if you think serving God is not for you and your family, if you think living for God is not for you and your family, if you think it's silly and, you know, it's just not culturally right, it's not something we want to do, it's not something, a priority for us, if that's your decision, then guess what? You've got to choose who you're going to serve because there's a deal. Either God's going to influence you or something else is going to influence you. There's no middle ground. And here's what he says. Choose this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. You got, you got a choice, right? If you're not going to choose God, you got to choose something else. And those are some bad choices. And here's what he says. Famous uh, passage, famous saying. A lot of you guys have this probably in your house. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What it's kind of like is that the families are they're similar to sponges, if a, if a sponge has is, is been buried in water and it's soaking up that water, you take it up out of that water and you just got to squeeze it just a little bit, right? And all of a sudden just water pours out. And that's kind of like it is when, when Christ is just invading our lives and it's, 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 he's full, there's a fullness in our lives of Christ. And all of a sudden, every little thing, every opportunity, every situation, Christ begins to overflow in our lives. And that's what it looks like for a Christian family when Jesus is being the influence. But you know what? If your family is just dry and Jesus is not being influenced, you're like a dry sponge. But you know what a dry sponge does? It soaks up anything that's around it, right? So the question is, well, I guess what kind of sponge are you, right? What kind of sponge is your family? Because we are living in a culture that is trying to influence us. Think about social media. We, we call people that are important and have a following, call them influencers on social media. Why are they called influencers? Well, it's because they have influence on people. They are people who, who have, a, have a following and people, other people want to be like them. And a lot of times those influencers are not influencing people in a godly way. Yet we have an opportunity as families to not be influenced by the world, but instead to be influences to the world. But really, it is up to us. So here's a question I have for, for us today. Does your family need a checkup? 
How's it going? What path are you going down? Who is really influencing you? And if you're kind of messed up and you're kind of off a little bit, I've got, I've got some, some tips for you today from God's word to show you how you can kind of realign your family to help you to be all that God has, has for you, to be the family that God has called you to be. And so I've got some tips for you, and they are in, in order of importance. And this is, that's actually probably one of the bigger things than the actual points is, is the order of importance here. If you want your family to be healthy, here's what you need to do. Number one, love the Lord, right? Love the Lord, just as simply as that. He has got to be the number one priority in your life. Matthew 22, verse 37 through 38, Jesus says this. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. He says with everything you've got, he needs to be number one. And God needs to be number one in your life because he made you number one in his. If you don't believe me, 1 John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us, right? Despite all our faults, despite all our failures, despite us running from him, he loved us first. And he gives us a money back guarantee. If we are going to make him a priority in our lives, he gives us this guarantee that things are going to go well. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 7, 9. Understand therefore that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who gets, the, gets, gets this, who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and he lavishes his, his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. What it says here is that if you love God, if you make him a priority in your life, here's what he's going to do. Not only is he going to take you and your family, take care of you, but he's going to take care of your kids. He's going to bless your grandkids. He's going to bless your great-grandkids. He's going to change your family if you put him number one. Second thing we need to do, serve your spouse. Your spouse needs to be of utmost importance in your life, but underneath God being the most important. Some easy verses here. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and 25 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Man, we should love our spouses the way that Jesus loved the church and sacrificed and made our spouses a top priority. But the problem is sometimes we get number two and number three backwards. We flip them because number three is be kind to your kids. You know what, sometimes, sometimes we, we take our kids and we elevate them over our spouse. And you can kind of see it in, in families that, that uh, put their kids in, fr- in, in front of their relationship with their spouse and then their kids go off to college or they graduate and they, they get out of the house and all of a sudden there's empty nesters and they're like, what do we do now? Like, I don't even really like you very much because it's all been about my kids for, for so long, right? And so they got to figure out how to love each other again. Right. Yet we're supposed to be loving our spouses above loving our kids, but it's still a priority, but it is priority number three. Be kind to your kids. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Be kind to your kids. But you also have to discipline them. And how are we supposed to discipline them? The way that God disciplines his kids. How does God discipline his kids? Here's what it says, Hebrews 12, 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises, chastises every son whom he receives. When God receives you, when you become a son or a daughter of the Lord, you know what? He's going to discipline you. He's going to do it. We shouldn't see it as a, oh, God hates me, God's mad at me. We should see it as, God loves me. He's disciplining me. Let me, let me explain a little bit further. A couple of verses later, verse 10, of Hebrews 12, here's what it says. But he disciplines us for our good, okay? It's for our good. Like parents, you can look back when your parents discipline you when you're little. 
And you hated it then, but now you're like, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Like, I understand it's for my good. He says that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We need to discipline our kids in a kindly way, to parent them the way that God parents us. Number four, kids, you're not out of this either. Make your parents proud. Make your parents proud. You can do this by obeying them. <laughs> Colossians 3.20, real simply, says, children, obey your parents and everything. Why? Because it makes God happy. It pleases the Lord. But here's a big question. When is it okay to stop obeying your parents? Never? What if you're 60 and your parents are 80 and they just have bad advice? <laughs> like, what do you do, right? <laughs> what do you do? When, when is there a change? Well, the Bible explains it. Exodus twenty twelve says this, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. There has to be, there's a, there's a change in, in, in the relationship between a kid and a, and a parent when, I don't know when that is, when you grow up, when you have more responsibility, you feel like you're an adult, you go from obedience to honor. You go from obedience to honor where you say, you know what, uh, maybe, I, maybe I'm not listening to everything you say, or I, you know, I'm, I'm an adult, I got my own kids and that sort of thing, my own family, but you know what, I'm still going to honor you. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to hold you high in my life and protect you and help you and provide for you. You can still honor your parents. There, there is no time limit for honoring your parents. And finally, here's the, here's the last thing that, that, that God wants you to do to have a healthy family is to care for your clan. Care for the rest of your family. Care for that crazy uncle, right? Care for that, that black sheep in your family. And I realized something. If you don't have a black sheep in your family, you are the black sheep, okay? All right? All right? So just letting you know. Just letting you know that's how it usually goes, okay? We're supposed to care for, for all of our family, even when we don't like each other. Okay, the Bible talks about it too. First Timothy chapter five. Man, Paul is writing to Timothy and said, hey, as a church, you need to take care of widows, widows that can't take care of themselves. But you know what's even more, more uh, primary than a church taking care of those can't take care of themselves is their family taking care of themselves. And I feel like that's a big issue with our, our society. We've abdicated our responsibility for the rest of our family. We've abdicated our responsibility to the church. We've abdicated our responsibility to the government and say, you know what? You know, my, my, my grand, grandparents, you know, that's not my responsibility. Or, you know, that, that uh, aunt and uncle in my family, it's not my responsibility. Someone else will take care of them. But God says, no, it's your responsibility. Here's what he says. First Timothy 5, 8 says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, this is tough, okay? He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever, okay? It's pretty rough, <laughs> right? If you aren't taking care of your relatives, God says, that's bad. You got your priorities mixed up. That is no one's responsibility but yours. We're supposed to be taking care of our families. That's what a healthy family looks like. You might say, you know, Clayton, that's a, that's a great message. You know, that sounds good, but my family is so jacked up that it's not going to happen, okay? Uh, you don't understand what's really going on. You know the situation. You don't know our blended mixed family. It's just, it's just it's not going to work, okay? But God has a word for you too. Let me close with this. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. The Bible says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Saying God doesn't make mistakes. The family that you're in, you're in that family for a purpose and for a reason. So instead of trying to run from it, embrace it. 
So you know what? I'm going to be a catalyst for change in my family. Because you know what? God is worth it. Your spouse is worth it. Your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, they are worth it. Your entire family is worth it. Your parents are worth it. You know what? We need to be the change that God is calling in our families. Let's create healthy families for God's glory and for our good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ability um, to open it up and to read it and to decipher it and understand it. And you have, you have a great love for families. We can see that. And so, God, we just confess to you right now that sometimes we get some of our priorities messed up, that maybe you aren't number one in our lives. Maybe our kids are number one. Maybe it's not even our families at all. Something else is number one, and we need to, to fix what is broken. So, God, I'm, I'm praying for my family. I'm praying for every family that is represented here, God, that you would convict us to do what is right, to take a step back and go, you know what? I've messed up. To confess that, say, God, I want to put you as number one in my life. I want to love you. I want to serve you. I want to live for you above all else. Then, God, help me to, to honor and to love my spouse. Help me to, to discipline and, and, and raise my kids in a godly way. Help me to obey and to honor my parents as I grow up and as, as I am grown. My family will stay intact. God, give me eyes for those in my family. Maybe they're, they're distant relatives, but they need help, and I've been ignoring them for too long. Help me, God, to see them as my responsibility. God, if we would do that, this world would be different. Lives would be changed. And I believe, God, that Christ would just pour out of our families that we begin to be families of influence instead of families that are influenced by the world. God, use us to change hearts and lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.